You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever see a fabulously wealthy and talented musician and just think to yourself, yeah, there is absolutely no way they got to where they are without sacrificing something. And you know what? You'd be right. Fame comes with consequences, whether it's privacy, the ability to live a normal life, your health, even your sanity. These things, they just don't come without repercussions. But what if someone who was talentless could strike a deal with dark forces giving them a shoe-in to the Glitterati. This week on Red Room, we're talking about deals with the devil. Hello everyone and welcome back to Red Room. So, a deal with the devil is no new concept. We have, in fact, been presuming someone's success is due to a dark deal made in shadowy quarters with cloaked figures for centuries now. So the story of Faust originates from the Middle Ages, and it tells the story of a disillusioned German astrologer who sells his soul to the devil in exchange for knowledge and power. What else? Faust was frustrated due to the limited scope of man's knowledge and decided to sell his soul to Lucifer in order to obtain power over the demon Mephistopheles. Through this demon, Faust is able to travel far and wide as well as learn and perform different kinds of magic. So in modern times, we seem to have replaced the devil with this concept of the Illuminati. Or are they the same thing? Like, I, I can never really keep up with what we're conflating, but you know what I mean. We still presume the upper echelons of celebrity have made some sort of deal with dark forces to reach magnificent heights. Now, before we get going, you know what I'm going to ask you, make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you're listening or watching and leave me a comment below. Or, you know, if you're feeling extra generous, you can leave me a review. But today we're diving deep into music history. We are revisiting one of my favorite topics on Patreon to talk about. I absolutely love it. And it's a series of mine that is called The Dark Side of Rock and Roll, where we explore the sordid history of the sexiest, freakiest, and in my opinion, the most controversial genre in music history. 
So today's story brings us back to the late 60s. The culture was having a revolution. The new young generation had had it with the baby boomers and their ways of thinking and living. And quite frankly, they were rebelling across the world. Cookie cutter post-war pride was out and long hair, free love, drugs and liberation were firmly in. Solidified by the summer of love in 1969, rock and roll had the youth in a chokehold. But no longer were rock stars the glossy suited and booted stars of the 50s and 60s. They were free-loving, patchouli-smelling, weed-smoking hippies and their motto reflected that. Do what thou wilt. It channeled the teachings as well of a well-known occultist, Aleister Crowley. So let's talk about Aleister Crowley because his teachings, his philosophy, everything he believed in is going to be very, very important for our topic today. If you've never heard of Aleister Crowley, he was a British occultist who was a practitioner of magic, and that is magic spelled with a K. He called himself the Beast 666. He was a rich kid whose father was the heir to a brewing fortune, aren't they all? <laughs> he would have been a nepotism baby nowadays, but he went to college at Cambridge, typical, classic, you know, and left without getting a degree, also classic. And then he just decided to start traveling and wandering around like the bohemian layabout that he was. His lifestyle afforded him to do all of this, obviously because of his inherent fortune and he made good use of it. So like many others of the 19th century, he was a religious skeptic and he had an intense interest in mysticism and the occult. I feel like this is something that people don't speak about too much. We often think of the old days as everyone being super religious, but there was a huge, huge pull and draw towards mysticism and almost a lot about like what people talk about now, like tarot and astrology back in the early, uh, the turn of the century, really the 19th into the 20th. 20th century. So Alistair Crowley, he devoted his time to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And ultimately, he founded his own religion known as Thelema. Their central teaching was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. He died in 1947, but Thelema lived on and inspired artists for years to come, like the Eagles, David Bowie, and of course, a band who we're talking about today, one of my favorites, Led Zeppelin. So Crowley was a magician, but he wasn't a devil worshiper, something that's often wrongly associated with him and his philosophy. His magic was serious though. He focused on unlocking dimensions, conversing with angels and summoning demons. And of course, one of his most famous rituals, sex magic. Crowley, his disciples and Thelema deserve their own episode altogether. We've spoken about them in ways over on Red Room, for example, his uh, massive influence on a man called L. Ron Hubbard and how his teachings influenced the one and only Scientology. But, you know, overall, it is safe to say that his teachings were massively inspiring across the board, especially to the rock and roll revolution of the 60s and 70s. Now, we're going to get to Led Zeppelin, but before we get to Led Zeppelin, I want to talk to you about a man called Robert Johnson. We, of course, cannot have a conversation about rock and roll and ignore its roots in black American culture. As many of you may or may not know, rock and roll was a white man's interpretation of the long-standing Southern genre, rhythm and blues. 
Rhythm and Blues had aggressive rhythms, gospel-style harmonies, and its growing popularity in the South influenced people like Elvis Presley, who basically grew up around this music, you know, but he, like many, rose to incredible levels of fame, leaving many of his black counterparts in the dust. So artists like Chuck Berry, Sister Rosetta Tharp, and Howlin' Wolf are now understood to have laid the foundations of rock and roll. But they only ever achieved a fraction of the success that the white musicians who stole their sound did. One musician who is now infamous for his backstory rather than his music is Robert Johnson, the first musician to sell his soul to the devil. Robert Johnson was born in 1911 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. His early life was very confusing and very unstable, almost as confusing and unstable as his adult life was. He had three men who served as a father figure before he even got to the age of seven. And he grew up with his mother mostly on various plantations in the Mississippi Delta region, which also is the home to the Delta Blues. In 1929, he married 16-year-old Virginia Travis, but sadly, their love story was not to last long. She tragically died in childbirth in April 1930, and this devastated Johnson. He later came into contact with masters of the Mississippi Delta Blues, men called Willie Brown, Charlie Patton, and Sunhouse, and these all influenced his playing, but none of them were impressed by his talent. In fact, he was known to be kind of a shit musician, like he did not have a good reputation. Despite his fact that he loved music and dedicated so much of his time to practice, he was kind of unremarkable and surrounded himself with the best of the best of the Delta Blues. So, you know, he was up against he had pretty, pretty high competition. So he failed to impress, as I said, and his music career just didn't really go anywhere. He seemed to disappear from the blues scene. His peers presumed that he had just swallowed the cold hard truth. He's not very good. Until one day, a year later, he reappeared and gave a jaw-dropping performance, blowing the minds of his fellow musicians and starting one of the most infamous music legends ever. So legend has it that during his time away, Johnson didn't spend his time practicing. Instead, he made a deal with the devil. The story goes that Johnson was approached at a crossroads late on an October evening while the moon was full, of course. Like the moon is, the moon's always full in these, in these situations, isn't it? So he was on this crossroads and he was approached by the devil. And he was offered to sell his soul in return for jaw-dropping musical talent. The devil took Johnson's guitar and tuned it right in front of him completing the deal and acquiring Johnson's talent as a guitarist, singer and songwriter. But like all deals, this came with stipulations. And in this case, in exchange for the talent, he would only have eight more years to live. So his repertoire was small. Okay, he didn't make a lot of music, but some of his songs were hugely influential. Three that come to mind would be Me and the Devil Blues, Ramblin' On My Mind and Love in Vain. And, you know, their influence on modern rock and roll can't be denied. So as I said, Johnson's career wasn't long. He died after drinking poisoned whiskey in a juke joint eight years after his infamous deal. He was 27 years old. 
So now let's get into Led Zeppelin and the man of the hour, which is Jimmy Page. So Jimmy Page was born in 1944. He was known to be kind of always a gifted musician. He picked up the guitar with very few lessons. You know, one of those people, it reminds me of like me and my brother. Me and my brother both tried to learn guitar at the same time and he was just very naturally good at it and I was very naturally bad at it. I could have used one of these deals like Robert Johnson. I was Robert Johnson, Louis, my brother, Jimmy Page, okay? But from an early age, he was a fan of the blues. His inspirations were Elmore James, B.B. King, Muddy Waters, and Chuck Berry. He began his career as a session musician and he later found the band, the New Yardbirds, and finally ended up forming Led Zeppelin with Robert Plant, John Bonham, and John Paul Jones. So Led Zeppelin were, you know, they grew a following pretty quick and it wasn't long until their fans noticed that a lot of their songs and a lot of the symbolism that came along with the band had heavy references to the... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cult. So there is a rumor that Jimmy Page convinced his bandmates to engage in magic ritual that would basically cement Zeppelin's name in rock and roll history. All of the bandmates apparently agreed, except John Paul Jones. Now, Page was massively into Aleister Crowley, and that is a fact. The other guys... They kind of seemed a little bit whatever about it, you know? You know when your friend is just like crazy into like maybe a band or an actress or something like that and you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just kind of deal with it and put up with it. This kind of kind of what it seemed like here. But they just went along and played along with his stuff. But they did seem to reap the awards if this allegation is true. So the first real glimpse into how Page ingrained the words of Satanism in his music is seen in the 1970 classic Stairway to Heaven. I'm sure we all know it. And when listened to backwards, a classic, apparently the song features the verse, Oh, here is to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path made me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give those with him 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer, sad Satan. Now, I will say, if that's true, that's creepy, but I don't really know if it makes much sense. But let's play along. Let's accept it for now. So there's also the bandmates' sigils. If you've ever owned a Led Zeppelin record or seen one even, you'll see that they all have these little symbols, which are, they represent each member of the band. Most of the sigils can be traced back to ancient magical and alchemical symbols across the world, but Jimmy Page's 
It's a little bit more mystical, okay? It's, it's You can't really root it back as much. His personal sigil is an inscription that seems to read Zosso. Some say that originated in the black magic text, The Red Dragon. And this is a text which contains detailed instructions for making a pact with the devil. He has publicly claimed in the past that he will never tell anybody what the sigils mean, especially not his own. Um, Now, you could say maybe he's trying to purposely be, I don't know, ambiguous or, you know, get a bit of mystery around him. But if we are to accept that he was engaged in magic ritual, it's very interesting because occultists and chaos magicians believe that a powerful sigil must not be spoken of after the spell is cast or the spell could backfire. Robert Plant, who is the lead singer of Led Zeppelin, said about the symbols, each of us decided to go away and choose a metaphysical type of symbol which somehow represented each of us individually, be it a state of mind, an opinion, or something we felt strongly about, or whatever. Then we were to come back together and present our symbols. So this is kind of interesting. You know, if the other band members were to put aside that the other band members' sigils maybe aren't uh, in some way linked to satanic or magic practice, it would kind of seem that Jimmy Page's could be if they all made them themselves. You know, you look at some of them, some of them can be traced back to Celtic symbolism or something like that. But as I said Jimmy Page is a lot more ambiguous where the root of it is so as Led Zeppelin became like top of the top of the biggest rock bands of all time okay they were on top of the world through talent and maybe a little help in hand from the devil Jimmy Page liked to spend his money okay and he spent his money by buying Balkson House and this solidified the fact that he was not just a fan but a follower of Aleister Crowley Originally, this house was just a manor in the Scottish Highlands, but it was once owned by Alistair Crowley in the early 1900s and apparently hosted many a ritual. Allegedly, Page only frequented Balskin House on a handful of occasions because it gave him bad vibes. Then there was his collection of occult memorabilia. So one of his girlfriends or ex-girlfriends, Pamela DeBar, very famous groupie as well, very interesting woman. She claimed that Paige basically asked her once to travel to San Francisco and LA to search for Crowley's lost artifacts. And she was able to locate a number of manuscripts and pieces of the magician's apparatus, including his ritual robes. Now, Jimmy Page loved a good ritual robe and he donned his own magic robes. He often wore custom-made costumes on stage. His most famous of these was his now infamous dragon suit that was embroidered with his sigil and occult practitioners and historians are kind of certain that this is a magic robe. And if this is a magic robe worn for ritual, that would mean that the concerts he wore them at were possibly some kind of ritual in and of themselves. So is there such thing as the Led Zeppelin curse? Some think the curse was due to this initial ritual, okay? Selling their soul for fame and glory. However, there was a public curse put on the band, okay? As if things couldn't get more dramatic, by underground filmmaker, author, and to be honest, alternative legend, Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Anger met Jimmy Page at a Sotheby's auction where they were both bidding on a manuscript owned by no other than Alistair Crowley. 
At the time, Kenneth Anger was currently working on a short film called Lucifer Rising and was desperately in need of someone to make the music for him. So he was delighted to cross paths with Jimmy Page, who accepted the challenge. Now let's talk about Lucifer Rising for a moment. Lucifer Rising is believed by occultists to be a form of electric magic. The entire film is hypothesized to be a ritual in and of itself. So watching the film, and this is your warning, allegedly you could be participating in the ritual and sacrifice your own energy. It isn't actually a wacky theory because Anger sees film as ritual, his chosen medium through which to channel visions, cast spells and create myth. He's quoted to say, my movie camera is the equivalent of a magic wand. By means of technique, I summon spirits to my bidding. I invoke elementary powers such as electricity, light and colour. So when he asked Paige, who at the time was one of obviously the biggest recording artists and rock stars in the world, if he could contribute to the score, as I said, Paige agreed. And according to some sources, even lent Anger editing equipment to use on the film. And Anger was also living in his manor with Jimmy and his girlfriend at the time. So there was a bit of an artistic collaboration going on. But unfortunately, at the time, Jimmy was balls deep, okay, in other effects of being a rock star, and that is a heroin and cocaine addiction. And in the end, he only could cough up like 20 minutes of music, which enraged Mr. Anger. No pun intended. A few years later, Anger would recall. So Jimmy Page did some music instead. He's a miser, which is a horrible thing. He wouldn't even pay for lunch. So I said, isn't it preposterous that you're so cheap? And that, of course, insulted him. He was on heroin all the time. I hate all those druggies because their eyes get glazed and what they say is meaningless because they don't follow through. So Anger, after being let down by Paige, he was, as I said, absolutely furious and he cursed Jimmy Page and his girlfriend. He said, I put the curse of King Midas on them. If you're greedy and just amass gold, you'll get an illness. So I did turn her and Jimmy Page into statues of gold because they've both lost their minds. He can't write songs anymore. Around this time, things went tits up for Let's Happen. <laughs> it has to be said. Very tragically, unfortunately. As mentioned, Jimmy, he's so hooked on drugs. He is nodding off all the time. He can't seem to get a grip on it. Meanwhile, they were planning this massive American tour, which had actually previously been pushed back because Robert Plant and his wife got into a pretty serious car accident. They got new dates and then Robert Plant got laryngitis. <laughs> they had to push it back further. Then the band's equipment went missing and John Bonham and the band's manager almost got put in jail for assault. Story for a different day. Unfortunately, tragedy struck again with Plant receiving devastating news while half a world away. His wife rang Robert Plant while on tour and said that their son was suddenly very, very ill. They kind of were trying to figure out what to do. She said she'd bring him to the hospital and she called again and the second call said that he had died. What was supposed to be Led Zeppelin's biggest tour yet that was selling over 70,000 tickets a day obviously was cut short so that Robert Plant could go and grieve the loss of his child. Soon after this, John Bonham's alcoholism would spiral out of control and he died in 1980. Jimmy Page would struggle with 
this heroin and cocaine addiction for years and Robert Plant kind of retreated for public life for years. So what do you think? Was this a ritual gone wrong or did the wrath of Kenneth anger take Led Zeppelin down? Guys, that is all for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know in the comments. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already and I'll be back with another one next week. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.